The following episode took place in April 2018, updated with information from the present day. The plan is I'm going to go to a undisclosed location and I'm going to take an undisclosed amount of time to get there. Got it. Uh, this phone number right now uh, with GPS coordinates, that's all I'm going to ask for. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you ready? There's a small, unsettling side story in this investigation that I rolled past without really exploring. And it's the fact that people like Jaden can find the location of anyone in North America as long as they have that person's cell phone number. As I've gotten deeper into this case, however, I've discovered that both Jaden's ping information, which comes directly from the cell phone, supposedly, and the police's ping information, which comes from the tower that the phone is communicating with, have not always been reliable. So I've decided to test Jaden's provider. Okay, I'm somewhere. Are you, you're in your undisclosed location? Because I'm gonna send it now, and I'm gonna confirm with you that I sent it. And then like I said, just, just please give me some sort of a image of where you're at. Okay, all right, it is uh, being sent. It has been sent. Okay, cool. Let's see how scary of a world we're living in. Hey, man. <laughs> okay, so the response with, and I'll just give you the approximate address, is the 4400 block of Admiralty Way in Marina Del Rey. Nowhere near there. Mm. Not even close. All right. It's uh, 21 miles away, an hour and 12 minutes in LA traffic. I'd like to test Jaden's provider a few more times, but the big takeaway is that you can't count on them consistently, and maybe that's a good thing. However, while I've been testing Jaden's service, I've had my Google location history turned on, and it happens to have not just my exact coordinates right now, but everywhere I've been all day, down to the minute. And fortunately, Chris Spots didn't turn off his Google location history on February 23rd, 2018, the day he picked up Adeya Shabani at her apartment and she was never seen alive again. And Jaden and I are about to follow every step he took and find out whose story is a lie. Chapter 23, you just do it. It's eerie to look through Chris Spotts' Google location data. Everything is here, going back years and years. The entire history of his five-month affair with Adea is laid out day by day, hour by hour. From Valentine's Day, where he has dinner at home with Mary, then runs out of the house at 10.04 p.m. to meet Adea at the restaurant Isabel, to his near nightly visits to Adea's apartment, sometimes for an hour in the early evening, 
other times staying until 2 or 3 a.m. before returning home to Mary. But the period I'm concerned with begins late at night on February 19th. This is the night that Adea showed up outside Chris Spots and his fiancée Mary's apartment and set in motion a chain of events that would lead to the discovery of her affair with Chris and some four days later, her murder. What we're trying to determine, based on this data and our most recent interviews, is what is the connection between these events and was Chris Spots, his biological father, Chris Morez, or someone else involved? So let's start with Monday, February 19th. Here's Mary speaking about that night. So Monday, I called him from my Google number online, and he picked up and he said, Mary, we're not safe. Get your stuff, pack the dogs, meet me downstairs. And he he seemed really concerned that I like started moving. Like, okay, go get my stuff. And as I was just about ready, he came upstairs. He was just parked in the alleyway, didn't even go into the garage. And we found a hotel to stay at. Along that hotel stay, like there was multiple, multiple messages from her. I didn't really get to see them. I know that they were being sent and he was getting them. And what she had told him was that, um, that she's in front of the building and she's going to commit suicide in front of the building if he doesn't come out. I think he had already broken up with her then. But again, it was back and forth, like, I'm going to ruin your life. And he's like, well, if you ruin mine, I'm going to ruin yours. Keep in mind that since Mary didn't see the actual texts, we don't know for a fact that Adeya was actually saying these things. And it seems highly unlikely that she was threatening to kill herself. The next day was Tuesday, February 20th, three days before Adeya's disappearance. Mary went to work that morning, knowing that Chris's stories about why Adeya was upset and outside their apartment weren't adding up. But she still hadn't said anything to Chris yet. I knew, I knew about her, I know her name, He's done multiple scenes with her, like he's, and I just felt like I, I just kind of, I knew, I knew it was always her. So he mentioned her by name, and uh, he told me about this whole Macedonian thing. None of it jived with me, like I knew something wasn't right. We had previously thought that Chris hadn't seen Adea on this day, but despite everything, while Mary was at work, coming to terms with the reality of what appeared to be a long-term affair, Chris, according to his Google data, was at Adea's apartment that afternoon for an hour and a half. When Mary came home later that day, she finally confronted him. So I was like, you gotta tell me what's going on, like what in the world actually happened? So that's when he started telling me that things, that there was stuff going on with them and that he had the affair and was sleeping with her at the time and that he's been trying to break it off for a while. And of course my answer is like, how do you, how do you try to break something off? You just do it. That night, Mary refused to allow Chris in the bedroom, so he slept on the floor of the living room on the dog bed. The next day was Wednesday, February 21st, two days before Adea's disappearance. Wednesday. I went to work. I couldn't work, so I came back home around like 11 or noon, and he had told me that he was meeting one of his uncles, the one that was on like some city council in LA or Studio City in that area. And he, and he was in, um, I don't know exactly where, Koreatown maybe, or Chinatown, I don't know. And I had called him back home, and he never got to meet him. Chris wasn't in Koreatown or Chinatown. He was at the Hollywood Arclight movie theater with Adea. This is when Chris suddenly left Adea in the middle of the film, claiming that his uncle was at the hospital with a heart attack. Adea then noticed her phone was missing. 
Later that day, Adea reached out to Chris Merez on Facebook for the first time, got his number, and called him, trying to track down Chris Spots. And Chris Merez, as you may recall, covered for his son. On Thursday, February 22nd, one day before Adea's disappearance, Mary and Chris's relationship remains volatile. When Mary catches Chris still texting Adea, they start arguing. Chris bends his iPhone until it breaks so that Mary can't check what's on it. Originally, we'd thought that Chris had spent the night of Thursday, February 22nd at home. I mean, I don't remember. I can check right now. He was somewhere. I want to say he told went um, and stayed with Sebastiano. I had told him I didn't think he should stay with me. Yeah, 5 a.m. And, and at 5 a.m. I just told him that I wanted that restraint order because he had mentioned that he wanted to get one for the both of us against her earlier that week after he had that incident with her, with her chasing him with a knife. But at 5 a.m., while Mary was texting Chris about a restraining order against Adea, Chris was spending the night not at his friend Sebastiano's, but at Adea's. This brings us to the day in question, Friday, February 23rd, 2018. Businesses have had to be flexible this year, from working remotely to pivoting their business models for long-term survival and growth. Restaurants are moving their dining outdoors and adding takeout and catering. And major retailers are now selling face masks. If you're in charge of hiring for your business, these pivots have made your job even more challenging, especially if you have to hire for brand new roles. Thankfully, there's one place that you can always count on to making hiring faster and easier. ZipRecruiter.com approach. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job boards with one click. Then, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com approach. That's ZipRecruiter.com A-P-P-R-O-A-C-H approach. Let ZipRecruiter take hiring off your plate so you can focus on growing your business. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash approach. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Chapter 24, Beanbags. Hi there. I'm picking up stuff from a car. Oh, here we go. Stock number is 221-6987. No, only personal items. I'm at Insurance Auto Auctions in North Hollywood, where Jaden and I are preparing to follow Chris Spotts' exact route from February 23rd, 2018. Chris's journey did not begin here, but something just as important is here his Toyota Tacoma truck. Hi, uh, is this where they bring the truck to? What kind of truck? It's a Tacoma, 2015. It's just me right here that cool. we get out right now. What, is, what does that mean when it's all shrink, shrink plastic wrapped? That's investigation. 
Oh, it's under investigation. We're here for three reasons. One, because due to inconsistencies that Chris's family has had in their dealings with law enforcement and the coroner's office, they're suspicious about the circumstances surrounding Chris's death. Two, because the family wants to recover Chris's possessions in the car. And three, because both Chris's family and Adea's family want to see if there are any clues as to what happened to Adea and who was involved in the vehicle. So basically, it's in an accident, they bring it here, they don't wash it, they didn't do anything, they just bring it here and offload it. Yeah, and then they hold the auctions here. It's sort of like a home for like LA tragedies, right? Like the, who knows what happened to the passengers of these cars. Yeah, that's true. And there it is. The same truck that picked up Adea Shabani on the day she disappeared. And the same truck that her boyfriend Chris Spots died in. It's being lowered off the back of a tow truck. With its windows wrapped in plastic and covered with orange biohazard stickers. All right, cool. Only you have the gloves, so... Here, you want, does anybody else want gloves? Yeah. We put on latex gloves. This window is out, too. Jaden removes the plastic, and he then begins his examination of the vehicle. They said they tried to pit the car. Yeah, yeah, CHP will do that. They're the only agency in California that still does the pit maneuver. Yeah, because Mary says she thought it was illegal. Uh, it's only CHP. Do you know what it is? The truck looks heavily battered, with no tires, shredded rims, and huge dents. Jaden is discussing the tactics that California Highway Patrol must have tried to disable Chris's truck, including the pit maneuver, which involves ramming the rear of a car near a back wheel in hopes that it will spin out. It's the reason most agencies don't do it is because you're basically putting yourself right in the line of fire. Whoever the car is that does the pit, pit maneuver, one, it's very dangerous, you're gonna end up causing somebody to roll over, then they cause a death, and CHP will pursue for anything. So even if you just don't pull over on a, for a speeding, they'll still pursue you. Most agencies, like Sheriff's Department, LAPD, if you don't stop for a traffic infraction, like they'll follow you for a little bit, and then if they can't get anything else on you, like they run the plate, you're not wanted for anything, they just, most of the time, they'll stop the pursuit. Really? Absolutely. Too dangerous. The risk reward. So my take on this would yeah. be, I would say probably at the time of the stop when they rolled up on the car, uh, they probably broke all these windows out, including the side window. Right. Just to check, just to clear the car. It's kind of a nightmare scenario for a traffic stop. Jaden walks around to the driver's side of the truck, where he sees four bullet holes in the window. Three of the holes are about the size of a baseball, maybe a little smaller. And the fourth is roughly the size of a dime. The only reason these holes have been preserved is because of the tinting on Chris's window. They're definitely exterior to interior, at Just least seven. these. Yeah. So there's a total of four. These are odd. I mean, obviously this one is different. I don't know why. All right, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blood on the seat here. So I can pretty much say 
he was shot this way. Now, really? You have a lot of blood over here, blood down here, and you have no blood on the B-pillar except for this right here. When Jaden says this way, he means that Chris appears to have been shot on the left side of the head. Jaden believes this because while there's no blood on the driver's side window, the center console and passenger seat are extremely soiled. What's odd about this is that Chris was right-handed, so it doesn't make sense that he'd shoot himself on the left side of the head. There's a lot more blood on this side than there is on that side. I mean, there doesn't appear to be any blood on this window at all. So everything here is pointing to inward shots. This is peeled inward. I mean, how about this one? This one that's not fully impacted? Yeah, is yeah, it coming from the outside or inside? It's hard to say. I mean, it could have been at closer range. So if you, when you're shooting a handgun round, the further away the shot is, the more expansion you get. I mean, it's pretty terminal at some point, but like if you were to hold the gun very close, you would get a small hole like that because the bullet wouldn't have expanded. These indicate more expansion, maybe further away. I really think you're right. I mean... Well, I mean, just think about it. If you have, if, if, if the bullet is exiting this window, well, first of all, nobody shoots themselves four times in the head. Jaden opens the door of the car and looks inside. The interior is a mess. There are suitcases, clothing, rotting food, trash, blood, and broken glass everywhere. Why be I'm assuming everything, everything is very dirty, so we're going to just set it up. But what stands out are white papers scattered all over the front seat. We pick them up and see what Chris was likely working on the moment he was pulled over. They're pages from a script for a web series called The Shokes, in which Chris was cast to play the part of a police officer. It looks as if he was rehearsing dialogue with his friend Chance for his film shoot the following day. I glance at the blood-spattered pages and see the line, no one's gonna buy this shit. That's blood on it. Check out the line of that script. It says, no one's gonna buy this shit. Oh, that's blood, oh, that's crazy. And it's just covered with blood. Jaden pulls items out of the car and the suitcases, one by one, and lays them on the hot pavement. There are almost a dozen books, all of them self-help classics, written over the last hundred years, from As a Man Thinketh, to The Power of Positive Thinking, to A Course, Course in Miracles, miracles. to Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. You are a badass, by Jen There are also pills, powders, and supplements. A lot of them things you might read about in bodybuilder forums. Rep Sports, DAA, Despartic Acid. Increase muscle strength, stimulate. From pills to gain muscle mass, to boost testosterone, to block estrogen, and to cure erectile dysfunction. Bazooka. Keep it up. Yeah, I am. And there are drugs and booze. Supplements. And another one. Let's THC just see. THC gummies. From THC gummies to bottles of whiskey and vodka. And weed and then a pipe. To a glass pipe with marijuana residue. To a baggie filled with what Jaden believes some, uh, is little crystal little meth. Stuff in there. That's meth. Are you serious? Neil. Yo. Bean bags. Bean bag rounds. Oh, interesting. That might have made those big holes. Look, okay. here's the bottom line. I'll tell you what I think happened. Unless he was, well, even if he was left-handed, 
he would have had to clean the bolt, clean shot the bullet right out the other window, and th there's no bullet hole over here. It would have been a through. It would have been a through and through at any close range. A very preliminary armchair investigation. I say he took three beanbag rounds in the seat, and that top one killed him. Exit wound bled out to the right. And with a huge caveat that I am not a crime scene analyst. Could this top one, I mean, these clearly penetrated inside the car. Could this top one have penetrated come from the inside of the car? No, because you would have had blood all over here. It's your, it's your exit wound that produces the blood. If you've ever seen anybody shot, Neil, mm -hmm. sometimes you can't even see the entrance wound. Right. It's so tiny. It's all about the exit. What do you mean? It's all of the blood spatter, all of the, all of the loss of blood is going to be on the exit. What's the little and, that's a that's another that's another shotgun pipe on the beanbag. That's what I think these are. Is that a third? I think shotgun? these are beanbag rounds. Right. That's our third wad. Yeah. So that's that that's those. Yeah. yeah. You did. I think that's what it is, and I think that killed him, especially because it came high. That's I mean that's head height right there. Why would they shoot these? Beanbag rounds. I mean you know sometimes you just shoot them. Sometimes you fucking shoot them afterwards. What do you mean? I mean, I'm not trying to disparage, but bad law enforcement is bad for everybody. Sometimes you shoot them after to say, we tried to shoot him with beanbags, couldn't stop the threat. That's how you're going to tell whether it's before or after. There's one other significant thing we find on the scene. Four notebooks and journals filled with Chris's handwriting. There is writing. Boldness is godliness. I am. Yeah, the last entry. I need to tell my mother about this. She needs to know. One of our longtime sponsors making this podcast possible is Sleep Number. I happen to be a customer of theirs and have one of their beds. And for those who know what I'm talking about or have been to a Sleep Number store or own one, my Sleep Number is 60, which is a slightly more firm mattress. My Sleep IQ is 80, which is pretty healthy sleep. I'm still working on it. And quality sleep is more important than ever as we head into winter. Not only is it a natural immunity booster, but it can also help with energy and recovery. With fall daylight savings time coming up, take advantage of that extra hour of sleep. According to Sleep Number research, Sleep IQ sleepers slept the longest the night daylight savings time ends in the fall, which was 8 hours and 27 minutes, compared to the usual 7 hours and 45 minutes. It's a great time to adjust your bedtime routine and sleep schedule for better quality sleep. A few tips for adjusting to daylight savings time is go to bed 15 minutes earlier for a few days leading up to the time change. Try to get outside for morning or early afternoon light to reset your internal clock. Stick to a consistent sleep routine to sleep better and dim the lights and turn off screens an hour before bed to prepare for sleep. I actually take it a step further and use red lights to avoid blue light. You can look that up if you want more information on that. Discover the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed for proven quality sleep. During the Veterans Day sale, save $1,000 on a special edition smart bed which is now $17.99. That's $1,799. 
plus exclusive offers for military members. For a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash live LA. That's sleepnumber.com slash live LA. This Monday night on CBS, it's the return of the CBS original series, All Rise, a legal drama where Judge Lola Carmichael, played by Simone Missick, is a dynamic and bold African-American judge fighting to change a flawed legal system. There are compelling cases told in unexpected ways, featuring beloved characters and plot twists. It's entertaining, heart-stopping, absurd, but ultimately hopeful. The All Rise season premiere, this Monday night, 9, 8 central on CBS. Chapter 25, The Middle of Nowhere. Oh, so I wanted to walk through Chris's uh, ride a little bit. So. Okay. Jaden and I are finally ready to begin our recreation of Chris Spotts' movements on Friday, February 23rd, the day of Adea's disappearance. We're outside Adea's apartment on Hollywood and Wilcox, where Chris's day began. In addition to Chris's Google data, I also have his phone log and credit card bill. We're following in his exact footsteps that day to determine what was Chris Potts' state of mind at the time. Was he or someone close to him involved in a day's death? And which theories about what happened to her can be proven or disproven by the facts we now have? Early that Friday morning, Chris starts his day with a day I hear, telling her he has to leave to go to an audition. Instead, following Chris's timeline on Google Maps, he goes back to his and Mary's apartment in Studio City. So on the 23rd, 970 was his first call. So he calls his mom in the morning. At what time? Like 7.30 in the morning. As we're sitting in the car, I reach out to Jade to ask her about the call. So I'm gonna ask you to rely on your memory a little bit. So we're talking about the 23rd, and I guess he called you a bunch that day. You guys talked early in the morning about nine o'clock Colorado time. Right. Uh-huh. And you right. Were, do you remember what you talked about then? I, I think that he told me that Mary was, that I needed to talk to Mary. That she was so upset and she wasn't doing good. I, I knew that they had had an, an affair and that Mary had told me that morning um, how upset she was and, you know, breaking someone's trust and betrayal. So I, was, I had sent him some kind of harsh texts about betrayal and that's not how people do it and anyway and then I even told Mary that maybe she needed to get out of the house until they got some counseling um, because she was very devastated. He leaves the house at 8.36 a.m. and tries to call his biological father, Chris Merez. A few minutes later, Chris Merez calls back and they speak as Chris Spots drives to get gas for his truck, then heads to a shopping plaza in North Hollywood. He briefly runs into Chase Bank and then apparently goes to the Green Valley Marijuana Collective. Jaden and I pull up outside the store and I walk inside and ask if anyone there saw Chris on that day or any day and noticed anything out of the ordinary. The employees there look at photographs of Chris and tell me they don't recognize him. They then proceed to tell me that they have as many as a thousand customers a day and are generally too stoned to pretty much remember anyone. From there, Chris drives less than three blocks to Anawalt True Value Lumber, 
a hardware store. Then he went to Anna Walmumber. And he wasn't there long, right? He was only there like 15 minutes total. I'm gonna, I can ask my friend, can you get me all the transactions at that time? Mary did say something about him getting paint for her. She might have said that, so it just could have been the paint for her. I can ask about that. But he might have gotten something else to use that as an excuse. By coincidence, I'm actually friends with one of the owners of Anawalt Lumber. So I call him and see if there's any way to find out what Chris bought that day. On the surface, stopping at a hardware store on this particular day is pretty suspicious. So the question is, if I give you the date and the time, is it possible to see what the transactions were? Well, I will do my best. And here's, here's the glitch. The North Hollywood Yard doesn't belong to me. Oh. It belongs to a second cousin named Jim Anawalt. But yeah, send me what you got and uh, I'll contact Jim and we'll see what, what we come up with. He drives home and then goes back and forth from his car to his apartment for the better part of an hour and a half. He leaves at 11.05 that afternoon to go to Studio Plaza. He spends $48 at Ralph's on Mary's American Express card. He then goes to Rite Aid and puts another $18 on the credit card. And finally, he goes to Wells Fargo and withdraws $100 in cash from the bank account he shares with Mary. There's a bunch of texts around 10.30. Mm-hmm. He's picking up stuff or what's happening there? He was gonna, just leaving my Wells Fargo and my Amex card. I told him that I don't think he should stay with me and he said forever. He said that he's gonna write a letter. Meanwhile, at the exact moment as Chris is withdrawing cash, Adea is texting a friend of hers from acting class about her night with Chris. So what happened with Chris? The friend asks. Nothing, Adea responds. He stayed over. He went now to audition. Which, as we know from Chris's Google data, isn't true. Adea continues. So he's leaving her. She makes him sleep on the floor because she's mad. So he's got to pack all the shit up and leave. Mad, her friend asks. She has the right to, Adea responds. Adea goes on to discuss how she and Chris have decided to get a one-bedroom instead of a two-bedroom apartment. She adds that he has two dogs, so he'll be bringing one of them to the new apartment and leaving the other with Mary. Adea continues texting. We had been fiery and crazy because I was jealous that he was going at night to Mary no matter what and caring and calming her when he told me he chose me. But like this, when she's out of the picture, we are calm and lovey-dovey. Chris returns home for half an hour, then leaves for a day's apartment at 12.14 p.m. However, he makes one stop along the way. He receives a call marked as unavailable on his bill for a minute, which typically denotes calls from a blocked caller ID. He briefly speaks with the person, then parks and enters an apartment building in North Hollywood. He's in this apartment for just seven minutes, then he leaves for a day's. Yeah, so if you're looking at this guy, I mean, you know, we gotta figure out if this is a possible guy where he may have dropped her keys off to him. Do we have any indication that he maybe had the keys at that time? Yeah, because he oh, wait, took well, one off a day of set. She was complaining about it. Right, okay. Right, so that makes sense. So he, so he had the key. So it, we've got to figure out: is this somebody that he dropped the key off to, and is this our person that 
that possibly went into the apartment. So, Jaden, but could it be another possibility that this person was just someone Chris was dropping off a script to or picking up uh, something for an acting role? Could be an innocent stop, too. I mean, anything's possible. I think the key is we've got to figure out whose place that is and if we can somehow either talk to them or connect them to it in some way. I mean, this could be a person that LAPD never spoke to. At 12.46, Chris calls his biological father as he's pulling into a day's apartment building. He's off the phone nine minutes later, and immediately afterward, he walks into a day's apartment. It's worth noting that Chris Spots doesn't make another call for the next seven hours. As we know from Adea's records, the last time her phone checks in online and receives data is at 12.50 p.m. So around this time, it's either shut off or put in airplane mode, or less likely, it runs out of charge. Whatever the answer may be, her phone is never used again. Her phone last receives data at 12.50 p.m., but that doesn't necessarily mean that it went off at that time, right? I think that it's possible that, uh, that he just took the phone from her. He has a history of doing that. So he takes the phone, shuts it off. He's up against this deadline that he's imposed by a family emergency. I mean, he, it's a perfect cover. He takes the phone. She starts looking for it, saying, where's the phone? Where's the phone? I can't find my phone. He says, well, we just have to leave. Don't worry, you don't need your phone. We're just going up to Sacramento and we'll come back. Is there any possibility that maybe he just said to her, hey, we're going on a trip, it should be just you and I, can you turn off the phone? Right, I mean, well, that does fit in with the fact that he doesn't use the phone on the drive up there. If he's selling her on that idea, then he has to, you know, he has to stick with it too. Chris and Adea remain in the apartment for 26 minutes, and then they take the elevator together with Adea's luggage, looking completely amicable, and get into his truck. At 1.27 p.m., they leave her apartment building for the last time. Before we begin following Chris and Adea's actual road trip, I want to play for you the most complete version of Chris's story as told to Mary about what happened that day. He told me what had happened is that he went to drop off her keys and she wouldn't let him leave and she had her bags packed and she was gonna go on a holiday. And she kept asking him where they were going on a holiday and he was like, we're not going anywhere. So his, his thought was he was gonna to go to Magic Mountain with her and um, break up with her publicly so he had nothing to do with anything and he didn't want her going after him again with a knife so he was going to take her somewhere public and along the way like she kept saying like no I don't want to go there I don't I've been there a thousand times I don't want to go there and he what he told me was that he was he told her like nope this is the only place we're going we're going somewhere public that's it we're not going anywhere else and that she had somewhere along the path figured out what he was planning to do and started hitting him and like punching him in the face and he pulled off the next exit and let her out. And she took her stuff with her. And, and I mean, I got really mad at him. I was like, so you just left her at the side of the road? He's like, yeah, what was I supposed to do? After just half an hour of driving, Jaden and I are outside of Los Angeles 
and approaching Six Flags Magic Mountain Amusement Park. I mean, the first thing you notice being here is if they get in a fight, you're gonna pull over and leave her off on the side of the highway here. Like there's no real place to leave somebody off. No, and most of these exits, just cause I kind of know the exits, they don't dump off like a typical exit. Um, usually the stuff is pretty far removed from the, from the freeway. So like yeah, his explanation of pulling off, I mean, I guess it's good in the fact that he can't disprove that he did it. Right. There's six flags over there. Right. So if you're leaving someone off here, you're just literally leaving them on the side of the highway with yeah. either a fence on one side or like just a bank which, on the other side. Which seems crazy. I mean, yeah. I don't care how much I was fighting with somebody. I don't think I don't want to side of the highway. Yeah. You know, it's no, funny. I didn't, I didn't, I, I actually didn't realize Magic Mountain was actually on the way. So it wasn't preposterous. Yeah. He didn't pass Magic Mountain, right? He did, yeah, the, but the preposterous thing was is he told his dad he was coming to see his dad. <laughs> right. And would be there around 5.30. Adea told their friends that she was going up to the dad's. And she packed two suitcases, had a neck pillow, yep. and was dressed in, like, sweats. Yeah. So... One of the other reasons Jaden and I are assuming that Chris didn't kick Adea out of the truck here is that Chris's Google Maps doesn't show him pulling off at an exit or stopping for any amount of time. No, we're stopping at uh, that place on the way, right? Yeah, we're 11 minutes away. Wait, is it? it's the one on Gorman Post Road, right? Yeah. Half an hour north of Magic Mountain, Jade and I reach a 76 gas station in Gorman, California. This is where Chris and Adea make their first stop for five minutes. The Google data here is so precise that it's clear that Chris pulls in, he parks, he stays in the truck, and doesn't get gas. So presumably, it's Adea who leaves the truck, possibly to buy something or use the restroom. So this is it. All right. This is the 76 station. This is first stop. Hey, how you doing? Um, got a question. Are you like the manager or? This also could have been the spot where Chris supposedly kicked Adea out of the truck, but he never said it was at a gas station. He said it was by the side of the road at an exit near Magic Mountain. Did you ever speak to anyone from LAPD? Do you remember that? No. About that, okay. Um, who would be the best person to speak to regarding uh, like looking at some uh, footage from the security cameras? He gives us the name of the manager, and we hope that when we follow up with her, we're not already too late especially since the LAPD apparently hasn't been here. But again, I just don't understand why you would, why you would harm her here when you have a willing passenger. Jaden and I drive one more exit north and then veer off of Chris's Google route. That's because this is the Lake of the Woods area, where police, search and rescue teams, and divers were looking for a daya because phone pings showed Chris in this area for 40 minutes. However, I do have a logical explanation as to why the police thought Chris was in the area for so long. His phone loses reception exactly as he's passing the Lake of the Woods area and doesn't pick up signal again for another 58 miles. So it may have intermittently pinged off the same cell tower in Lake of the Woods during that time. This is it right here. All right, and so Lake of the Woods. And, and the gas station we were at last time, can you maybe, does this road maybe connect to it? 
No, it's back that way. Oh, it's back that way. I really see nothing out there. And as we said, 15 minute drive each way, you're not hitting any real wilderness to do anything. Whether you're hiding something or throwing luggage away or assaulting someone, there's really... I think if, yeah, I think if you had to call it right now, I think that would be it. It was just a red herring. Yeah. Irrelevant. It just goes back to the fact that it makes the most sense that he arrives at Sacramento with a day on. Two hours of driving later, Chris has still made no phone calls. Assuming that Adea is still in the truck, she may be asleep on her neck pillow. Because at 4.49 p.m., Chris is able to sneak off three text messages in quick succession to Mary. Oh, gosh. 4.42. So, uh, yeah, around 3.42, I texted him and I told him I'm, the apartment was being shown and if he can meet me later that day. And he said he couldn't because... Um, that he was spending the weekend in Gilroy Heap's place in the middle of nowhere to be alone. And who's Gilroy Heap's? It's a place. that It's in the middle of nowhere to be alone. Two quick notes of clarification. Mary is referring to Gilroy, California, which is roughly midway between Los Angeles and Wheatland, where Chris's biological father lives. The words Gilroy Heap's place appear to be an autocorrect error. And the reason Mary is renting their apartment is because she no longer feels safe there after all the stories Chris has told her about Adea, many of which don't appear to be true. Not coincidentally, at the exact moment Chris is texting Mary about being in Gilroy, he's actually passing the exit to Gilroy on the freeway. 15 minutes later, Chris pulls off the freeway at a Shell station in Los Baños, California. He runs into the store, pays cash, pumps his gas, and drives off. Time elapsed, six minutes. When he's half an hour away from Chris Merez's house, Chris Spots makes his first phone call of the trip and calls his biological father for two minutes. This is it. This is the greater Wheatland metropolitan area. So Wheatland is the name of that place he lives? Yeah, he lives in Wheatland. There aren't even, there aren't even, uh, like, nothing's a brand here, even the gas station, everything's independent. Jesus loves his peeps in the center of the church. Both Jade and Mary have told me that Chris Merez said repeatedly that Chris Spots was only at his house for 15 minutes. But according to the Google information, Chris Spots is actually at and around his father's house that night for what appears to be five hours. One thing we know for a fact that Chris Spots does when he's at his dad's house is that half an hour after arriving, he answers a call from his mother, Jade, who's been desperately trying to reach him. They speak for just two minutes. And then later on in the afternoon, I was worried about Chris. I had called Mary and she said Chris wasn't there. She wasn't quite sure where he was. So I started texting Chris saying, where are you? I'm worried about you. I need to hear your voice. I need to know you're okay. Um, and then I sent him some pictures of like his baby brother Shane at the bowling alley and then a picture of me and my friend and I was crying. Um, and so that was about, I think, at 8.03. And I'm not sure what time the call was that he said Chris called. Um, yeah, 840, um, around 8.46 LA time. That would have been like uh, 9.46 your time. 
Chris brought her there, and I guess he would have said something if that happened. Yeah, you would think so, but he, he probably wouldn't have told me because he hated, he knew how upset I would get when he would be at Chris Moretz's. There was never anything good came of his time with Chris Moretz. Jaden pulls up in front of Chris Merez's place. This might be his truck right here. This is probably his house right there. It's in a flat rural area with small homes and large fields. A fence and a long driveway block Chris Merez's house from view from the road. Jaden tries to call Chris, hoping we can come in, sit down with him, and ask some tough questions. So if he doesn't answer... I'll call him later tonight. Because if there's one thing we believe from our trip so far, it's that when Chris Botts arrived, whatever may or may not have happened to Adea Shabani along the way, she was in that truck with him. And why do we believe that? Here's the thing about being here is if you leave Chris Mares... Because if you leave Chris Mares' house and drive about 200 yards... You take your first left. On the left... There's a road that takes you into the Spenceville Wildlife Area. And you go down that dirt road. And this road dead ends in 10 miles. At almost the exact spot where Adea Shabani was buried. To Live and Die in L.A. has been a production of Tenderfoot TV and me, Neil Strauss, in conjunction with Cadence 13. The executive producers of this podcast are myself, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay, along with producers Alex Vespasted and Mike Rooney. Anything you know about anyone mentioned in this podcast, we want to know. Please email us at livedila at tenderfoot.tv or call us at 213-204-2073. The music and score you've heard in this podcast is my makeup and vanity set. Our theme song is Love and War by Flurry, and our show art and design are by Trevor Eiler. You can follow us on social media at LiveDieLAPod, or you can find our website with bonus content at LiveDieLA.com. The editing is by Alex Vespested, with additional mixing by Resonate Recordings. Special thanks to Rich Berner, Kevin Richter, Chris Corcoran, Warren Siegel, Ryan Fishback, Warren Rosenbaum at UTA, Eric Lynn at Shangri-La, and the Nord Group. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcasts that you enjoy and listen to. Thank you for listening and for your support.